Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Hales Britton. I'm Luke Patrick. And I'm Sam Siegel, and welcome to Grease Lightning, a podcast where we're going to watch movies of myth and try to learn something in the process. Yeah, pretty, pretty exciting. Hell yeah. Welcome to episode one. I am so excited about this. Um, today, we are going to talk about the Trojan War, and then we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the movie Troy. Um, yes, which I have a lot of feelings about. So mm-hmm. buckle up. Um, yes. So before we talk about the actual myth of the Trojan War, I wanted to ask you guys um, what you already know about the Trojan War, um, if anything. So I I read the Iliad a while back in yeah. like high school. Uh, so uh, which was ten years ago. Um, and, and so I don't remember a lot of it. Um, my most recent exposure to the Trojan War has been the video game Total War Troy. Uh, yeah. so <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'd say the same for me. Uh, I remembered remarkably few things about the Iliad, uh, which I am ashamed to admit. I remembered Achilles had a heel. I remember Ajax is a great, uh, dish soap. Mm-hmm. Um... And yeah, actually, shamefully, Sam, my closest introduction to all of this most recently has been Total War. So whenever we had the big <laughs> fight scenes in the movie, I was thinking mm-hmm. like, because there's a moment, spoiler alert, where someone shouts, archers in the back. And I was thinking, yeah, dog, that's where your archers go. Of course. Yeah. You don't, put, they're not frontline troops, my guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> sort of was thinking about it as a video game. Um but mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't have a PhD. Sarah, what's your relationship to the Trojan War? Oh, like? oh goodness me. So uh, I have a PhD in classics. Um, the Homeric literature, which is, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey, and some other associated writings from that mm-hmm. period, um, is that's not my thing. Um, I do mm. later stuff. But everybody has to know Homer in order to talk about the later stuff because Homer runs so deep in the the mindset and the sort of um, the world perspective of ancient Greeks, um, mm-hmm. and then later on Romans as well for centuries and centuries. So even though I studied texts that were written um, more than a thousand years after Homer's works were actually written down and recorded, never mind when they were composed, uh, I still had to know. You know, my my authors quoted Homer, so. Um, I had to okay. know him, but I didn't actually read the Iliad until graduate school uh, because mm, I gotcha. am a bad classicist. <laughs> I read <laughs> bits and pieces of the Odyssey in college, um, but no Iliad till I was forced to. Um, so I have sort of a, a complicated relationship with uh, Homer. I, you know, he's he's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not my favorite. He's sort of a necessity for me. <laughs> There are, I will say, though, there are portions of the Iliad that I really love. And, like, even though it's not really my thing and I don't understand people who are actually Homeric scholars um, or what would make you want to do that, um, I I could recognize, like, there's there's beautiful passages in the Iliad and it's um, it's amazingly composed. Um, the fact that this was an oral composition, not done, this was done before the writing system, the Phoenician writing system reached Greece. Uh, so these poems were all composed orally and memorized, um, and handed down that way until they were eventually 
written down um, several hundred years later. Um, that's just a crazy, amazing thing. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, he's a necessity, but he's not all bad. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, what I'm what I'm gathering is that Homer is vegetables. Is the vegetables of classics, yeah. yeah. And Hesiod is the Brussels sprouts. Luckily, I don't think we're going to ever have to talk about Hesiod uh, okay. on this podcast, but <laughs> he's I, another honestly, writer of that period. Okay, because I know about as much about Hesiod as I do about Brussels sprouts, mm-hmm. uh, which is to say, at this point, that they both suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I have a quick question. Actually, Go before we really get cracking into things, what's the longest thing you can remember, if that makes sense? Because I'm blown away by the fact that these were oral traditions. Like, I was just thinking about that, like, mm. trying to remember. Yeah. What's like, because um, I don't think I could get past my own grocery list, much less like whole passages of the Iliad by memory. That's that's fucking crazy. It is. Yeah. I memorized a sonnet in college. And I believe I know all the words to Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm, Okay. Nice. That's probably the longest. (laughs) Yeah. Excellent. What about you, Sam? See, like, now I can't think of anything except a taxi cab number in New York City that I memorized (laughs) when I was like eight years old, I think. So so it's of no use to me, but I. You know, shout out to you, seven D five three. Um, I hope you're still driving that minivan. Uh, but like, to me, what's different is like, it's a story versus like Luke, you saying like a grocery list. Like a grocery yeah. list is not entertaining or mm. filled with verbs, but like a story. Like we all remember like stories. Like uh, you remember a fucking. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood, yeah, and uh, the the Three Little Pigs, like that. Those things, which I mean, are admittedly short, but they are stories, and so it's. I feel like it's probably easier to remember a story than like, oh uh, yeah, three years ago I needed some blue cheese for a party. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and the way the Iliad was composed, also it was done with um, the oral poet's ability to keep his place in mind. Um, so there's a lot of lines that repeat, um, when we're sort of coming to the beginning of another similar episode, um, a lot of people die in very similar ways. There's this line about like darkness, like his knees gave way and darkness covered his eyes. A lot of guys die that way in battle Mm -hmm. in the Iliad. Um, and there's sort of other little, um, repetitive tags like Achilles is either, um, he's godlike, he's Peleus' son, or he's swift footed Achilles. Um, and he gets one of those tags all the time. Um, gotcha. Helen gets like God, like Helen, right? Hector is Hector breaker of horses. Like these things repeat. Um, so, so yeah, like the fact that it's a story, like you said, Sam, and then the fact that um, oral composers knew what they were doing and sort of gave themselves these, um, these basically heading levels to follow. And then they would have mm. these sort of repeat repeating moments and sort of, we're going to recap what just happened to sort of give themselves a little bit of, br- of a break. <laughs> And then get on to whatever the next thing is. Okay. So, that's yeah. so that's now, cool. Yeah. Now all I can think of is like a really shitty one trying to tell the, uh, like the Iliad and just being like, um, uh, 
uh, re- real strong Achilles? Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I don't know. I get. Well, I got nothing on this one. Well, buckle in, because uh, that <laughs> is about what my recounting of this myth is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> because okay. there's so there's so much you guys i was writing up notes for this thinking about the things that we needed to talk about and um i'm gonna try to just like go through it like quickly and give overview but there's so mm-hmm. much detail and so much backstory to understand why this war even happened in the first place um okay. so i'm gonna try to be quick about it um but i wanted to just since we've been talking about um, oral poetry I just wanted to say one more thing about Homer before I do that which is that mm-hmm. sure. um, Homer probably wasn't a dude um, or maybe there was a dude named Homer and he did this but uh, he wasn't the only one it's not like one this whole enormous book came out of one guy's head um, there are like old school scholars who think that that it really was just like one guy named Homer who composed all mm-hmm. of this and eventually it got written down um, but that is a very, like I said, very old school view of things. Um, And the more Mm -hmm. common consensus these days is that um, Homer is just the name ascribed to sort of an amalgamation of oral poets um, who were all composing and performing these stories, um, you know, stories of various periods of Troy. And um, it gets called the epic cycle of the lead up to the war, the beginning of the war, the stuff that happens in the Iliad, which is sort of what the movie Troy is riffing off of. Um, Mm -hmm. The Iliad, by the way, only covers about a week uh, in the 10th year of the war. So it's it's a very short period of time. And then there's poems um, later about the actual sack of Troy and then the Greeks returning home and all of that. Um, so there's lots of different guys like composing this mm-hmm. and performing this and, um, you know, stealing each other's stuff and then riffing off of it and adding their own things. And uh, until eventually we build up and we get this sort of canon of this is how the story gets told. And that's what gets written down later on in the classical period of Athens. So this all of this composing was happening around like the 8th century BCE. So mm-hmm. like approximately 800 BC. Um, and it wasn't written down until like the sixth, fifth century um, BCE, so a couple hundred years later. Um, okay. But yeah, it's we we say Homer because it's convenient, and that's you know the way um, ancient Greeks talked about it and, and wrote about these works was that Homer wrote this. Um, and there's all kinds of debates in the ancient world about where Homer was from, um, but it it wasn't just one dude; it was a lot of guys um, putting this all together. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of so, like if we just described all of jazz to someone named Jeff, and we were just like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, Jeff made jazz." Maybe that will be the case yeah. in several hundred years. Everyone's gonna be like, "Yeah, Jeff made some amazing jazz back in the day." <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you know how Jeff did? You know, uh, like take the A train, mm-hmm. and also like uh, goodbye pork pie five hat jump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, Jeff had range. Mm-hmm. What a guy, that Jeff. <laughs> that Jeff. What a guy. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, so let's talk about the Trojan War. Um, yes. This um, there's uh, there's some things that everybody knows, right? That the war was fought over Helen of Troy slash mm-hmm. Sparta. Um, she's a daughter of Zeus, so she's a demigod. She's the queen of Sparta. She's married to Menelaus. Paris abducts her, quote unquote, abducts. She's a very willing abductee in most versions of the story. Um, They run off. And so then Menelaus and his brother Agamemnon get all of Greece to sail over to Troy and 
bring her home, right? Um, that's that's the simple version. Um, but why Paris was even stealing Helen in the first place requires some backstory. So there's two things that we need to know um, that have happened before all of this starts taking place. One is the birth of Paris. So Paris is born a prince of Troy. Um, his parents, King Priam, Queen Hecuba of Troy, they have 50 sons and 50 daughters. Don't ask me how that Fuck. works for Hecuba, but uh, there's, <laughs> there's yeah, allegedly, he's, so he's one of these 50 sons. Um, Those are Duggar numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They put the Duggars to shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so there's this prophecy when Hecuba is pregnant with Paris that the child she's carrying will cause the downfall of Troy. Um, mm. So the long-term, like, smart thing to do then is kill the baby, right, as soon as it's born, so mm-hmm. that you can save the lives of these hundreds of thousands of Trojans. Um, understandably, Priam and Hecuba can't really bring themselves to do that, but they're trying to be responsible monarchs, so they give the baby to their trusted friend uh, and shepherd, Agelaus, who, and say, just, you know, take him out and expose him. This is a very common way of getting rid of unwanted babies um, in the ancient world was you just take them out and you leave them somewhere in the okay. middle of nowhere. Um, and usually they die, but it sort of gives the parents a, the hope that, you know, the option that maybe somebody will find them and take care of them. Um, or maybe the gods will protect my baby, right? Um, this mm-hmm. is pretty common. So they say, take him out and expose him. Uh, however, Agelaus <laughs> ends up raising Paris as his own son. Uh, so Paris is born a, a prince, but he grows up as a cowherd out on Mount Ida um, in the countryside outside of Troy. Uh, okay. he, he marries a nymph named Oinoni. They have a kid. As you do. Yeah, he's got like a whole life. Uh, <laughs> and then suddenly one day he's out with his cows and he gets whisked away and finds himself surrounded by three goddesses asking him to decide which of them is the most beautiful. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, everybody's dream, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So that brings us to thing number two that we need to talk about in the backstory. Uh, these goddesses, it's Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite, and they have come to Paris straight from a wedding. Uh, and they were all at the wedding of Peleus and Thetis. So Peleus is a mortal. He's a hero, uh, king of Thea, um, which is a city up in Thessaly. Um, Thetis is a Nereid, so she's a sea nymph. Um, now Thetis is extremely hot, and Zeus has his eye on her, as he does with any female, yeah, and, and, human, or yeah. god. <laughs> Anything that moves... Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. He's not very picky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he has a thing for Thetis. Um, but there is a prophecy about Thetis that her son will grow up to be greater than his father. And that's mm. fine for mortals, right? That's a huge threat for a god, um, mm. especially considering the fact that Zeus, in order to become king of the gods, Zeus overthrew his own father. Right. So this is a problem um, for Zeus. Um, he 
he actually for once in his life restrains himself because he doesn't want to deal with whatever fallout might come from his son with Thetis. So he decides to neutralize the threat. The best thing to do is to marry her off to a mortal. And so they they choose Peleus as the lucky guy. So Thetis is being married off to Peleus against her will, basically. Um, but all the gods come to their wedding. Um, bonus points if you can guess who Thetis's son grows up to be. <laughs> hey, uh, Brad Pitt. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Peleus and Thetis' son is Achilles, uh, who is indeed greater than his father. Um, so, so yeah. So all the gods are at Peleus and Thetis' wedding, except for Eris, who is the goddess of discord. And as revenge for not being invited, she does what she does best and stirs some shit. Um, she has a golden apple that's inscribed with the words te caliste, which means to, it always gets translated as to the fairest, right? To the most beautiful. And mm-hmm. she chucks that into the middle of the party. Mm. Like a grenade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this, of course, uh, starts a fight. Hera, Zeus's wife, Athena, Zeus's daughter, and Aphrodite, Zeus's aunt, all want him to choose which of the three of them deserves the apple but zeus is not stupid like he's not Mm -hmm. he's not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) so he decides he's gonna get somebody else to make the call somebody that everybody agrees is very honest and trustworthy uh and that person happens to be our our erstwhile prince cowherd paris Uh, who ironically at this point in his life, Paris has a reputation for honesty. Um, So so the goddesses show up on Mount Ida and say, hey, Paris, we need you to decide which of us is the fairest, which of us gets this apple. Um, Paris is understandably terrified uh, and shocked and can't Mm -hmm. choose. Um, And of course, each goddess wants the apple whether or not it's like a fair judgment they don't actually care about the fairness of this they just want the prize so they each offer him a bribe to choose them Mm -hmm. so Hera offers him political power and like kingship over all of Asia Um, because Troy is um, on the western coast of Turkey so um, Mm. we're sort of on the edge of Asia Okay. Um, so Hera offers him in- immense political power. Athena offers him this prowess in battle and wisdom and strategy. Um, Aphrodite offers him the most beautiful woman in the world. And Paris is a man. So mm-hmm. guess what he yeah. chooses? <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yep. Thinking yeah. with his dingling. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Paris doesn't think with any other part of his body in this whole story um so so yeah he chooses aphrodite gives it to her so aphrodite now owes him the most beautiful woman in the world what she neglects to mention is that uh the most beautiful woman in the world is already married helen is already married Mm. to menelaus (laughs) the king of sparta other things she forgets to mention um when helen was of marrying age her beauty was so intense that she had suitors from all over Greece. And her 
her mortal father who raised her, a guy named Tyndarius, he was terrified that, like, once he actually had to choose somebody to marry Helen off to, the rest of them would be so angry that it would spark a massive war. Um, so he made, before Helen made her choice, he made all of the suitors swear an oath that no matter who Helen chose, all of the suitors would back that guy up and accept the decision. And if ever somebody tried to take Helen away from the, her rightful husband, the rest of them would come and defend him and mm. bring her home. Oh, okay. So the idea of Paris now being entitled to this woman is a huge problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but Aphrodite doesn't really care, and uh, Paris doesn't really care. So um, to make a long story short, Paris ends up going back to the city of Troy, being recognized by his parents as the long-lost prince um, they don't even care about the prophecy at this point. They're just so happy to have their son back um, and to have all that guilt, you know, 20 years of guilt assuaged that they abandoned him. Um, they send Paris on a mission to Sparta. Uh, Aphrodite contrives for them to fall in love. He kidnaps Helen, who is a very, like I said, in most versions of the story, she falls in love with him and she wants out of Menelaus's house, um, leaves her infant daughter behind and comes oh. back to Troy with Paris. Uh, cool yeah yeah <laughs> lovely <laughs> yeah so menelaus goes to his brother agamemnon who is king of mycenae and says i need help so agamemnon and menelaus call in the oath that all the suitors had to take all these guys who are now kings and princes all over greece so this is how we get a force of all you know greece is not unified at this point this is how we get a mm-hmm. force of of men from all over Greece, all coming together and united in the cause to bring Helen, to sail across the Aegean and bring Helen home. Um, and of course, you know, get a little gold in the process because Troy has this reputation for being a very wealthy city. Mm. So they get there. The Trojans won't give up Helen. They say it's her choice. She wants to stay. She can stay. Um, and they're not going to force her to go back. So they have the war and the war goes on for 10 years. Uh, the first Christ yeah yeah so the first like nine years are pretty much a stalemate um, and then mm-hmm. um, with the Iliad like I said we come to um, a very short period of time within the 10th year where things really start to take a turn in the war um, so Iliad basically means Troy story uh, Ilium is another name for the city of Troy uh, and so the Iliad oh. is the story of Ilium God. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Loving the Troy story. Yeah, this might definitely my favorite <laughs> Pixar film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So this is so the Iliad starts with the line, um, like O Muse, sing the wrath of Peleus' son Achilles. This whole story is just about Achilles' rage and his fight with Agamemnon and the fallout of that. Um, that this that happens in the 10th year of the war. So basically, for the first nine years, Achilles and his men have been raiding the surrounding countryside at Troy. Um, you know, they kill the men so they can't join to fight with Troy. Uh, they enslave the women and they take the livestock to feed the Greek army. They burn the fields so that the Trojans will be eventually starved out, right? Um, mm-hmm. And as reward for all of these raids um of course they're getting you know other stuff other valuables in the in the process um as rewards for these raids uh the 
the kings and then the men who perform the most bravely uh, are rewarded with various spoils of these raids, okay. um, including women. So Agamemnon gets this girl named Chryseis, um, which isn't a real name. Uh, that just means daughter of crises. <laughs> Uh, oh, hmm. cool <laughs> sort of the yeah, rapper so he, name that's that's pretty awesome yeah 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 so he so agamemnon's girl is named chryseis um achilles gets this girl named briseis um now chryseis's father chryses is a priest of apollo and he comes to ransom his daughter back from agamemnon um mm-hmm. and agamemnon won't give her back and he really disrespects the guy so Chryses goes out and prays to Apollo for help, for revenge. And Apollo is, um, in addition to being, you know, god of music and archery and all this stuff, he's also a god of plague. So Apollo sends a plague on the Greek camp. And after several days of men just like dropping like flies, the kings finally get together to decide what to do about it. Uh, and the, the seer, the prophet they have in their camp, says... It's because Agamemnon disrespected the priest of Apollo. That's why Apollo sent this plague. And he's not going to take it back. The plague won't stop until Agamemnon gives the priest back his daughter. Mm -hmm. Agamemnon's furious. Um, Achilles has never liked Agamemnon. And he is very eager to uh, back the prophet up on this. And basically, Mm -hmm. he, he embarrasses Agamemnon in front of all the other kings and princes uh, at um, at the Greek camp and says, you have to give her back. We demand it. Like you're letting your men die. So Agamemnon says, fine, I'm giving her back, but I'm the commander of all the Greek armies. It's, it doesn't look right. If you all get to have your girls and I don't get to have mine. So I'll give her back. But Achilles, I'm taking your girl. Um, and Lovely. we, yeah. So we'll talk about this more when we get to the movie, but, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's not about the girls. I just want to say that now, like there's no romance in this, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Achilles is not attached to Briseis because of whatever qualities as a woman she might possess. He's attached Mm -hmm. to her because of what she, she represents his prowess in battle, right? She's a Mm -hmm. prize. She's property. She's a prize given by the other men in recognition of Achilles greatness. She's an, she represents his honor. And that's feminism. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like. I think that's. I think that's what's called first wave feminism. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. This is what every mm-hmm. girl dreams of, right? Yeah. Uh, she. She is quite literally the trophy. Well, not wife. Tro- just. She's yeah. just a trophy. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah. So it's not like it's not like Achilles is in love with her or anything. It's just that. By, by publicly taking her away, Agamemnon has, it's, it's like being stripped of medals, right? It's, he, mm-hmm. has, he has publicly stripped Achilles of this prize that represents his honor. This is absolutely humiliating. And Achilles says, fine, you can take her, but I'm not going to fight for you if you do that. Um, gotcha. And Agamemnon's like, I'm the king. So he takes her uh, and Achilles withdraws from the fighting. He and his men, the Myrmidons, um, he, they all withdraw. And the rest of the Iliad, basically, is um, this 
turns the tide of the war and the Trojans start gaining an advantage uh, and eventually come within striking distance of the Greek ships. Um, if the Trojans burn the ships, the Greeks are stranded and they can never get home. So this really lights a fire under everybody. And at this point, Achilles' best friend and lover, lover, remember that, mm-hmm. Patroclus says, you like, if you don't want to fight, Achilles, fine. Like, if you feel the need to continue to stay out of this, whatever. But you can't hold your men back any longer. We have to defend our ships. You have to let us do that. Um, like, I will lead the Myrmidons out if you don't want to. And Achilles says, fine, wear my armor. They'll think it's me. So you can inspire the men and scare the Trojans. But it won't actually be me fighting. So this is a nice compromise. So they do that. Patroclus is no slouch. You know, he goes out and he fights really well, but he is killed by Hector, mm-hmm. who is the prince of the Trojans. Uh, Achilles falls apart. He's just completely shattered. He goes out the next day. He uh, kills Hector in single combat. And then every day after that, he ties Hector's body to the back of his chariot and drags it around the walls of Troy. Holy so, shit. Jesus. Yeah. Do you, do you think anyone had a conversation that was like we we got to take the body away from from Achilles. It's mm-hmm. it's getting <laughs> weird now. It's day been one, real weird. Day 1 was okay. Day 2 a little less so. Day 3, man, though. I don't yeah. know. He just keeps doing it. He keeps going. It's it's starting to stink. Mm-hmm. Oh, but this is the thing. This is it. So they do have these conversations about like we need we need to rein him in. Like this is this is getting ridiculous. And <laughs> yeah. and there's you know all of like everything everything about the way Achilles acts when uh, Patroclus is killed codes their really it, it codes it as a romantic relationship, essentially as a marriage mm-hmm. um, instead of a friendship. Um, because okay. you know he he does all of these things that traditionally would be a woman's job. He he sort of goes over the top in his mourning. That's usually women who you know scream at the funerals. Tradi- like it's it's mm-hmm. part of the mourning, the funeral process. Um, he he's the one who helps wash the body. That's a woman's job. After Patroclus's body is burned, he's the one who gathers up the ashes and and bones to put them in an urn. That's always a woman's job. Like a like the okay. next female next of kin. Achilles does all of that. When Patroclus dies, so he's he is very over the top. However, uh, the gods are heavily involved in the Trojan War um, in mm-hmm. the Iliad. Like they are active characters, they take sides, they participate in battle, they get wounded, uh, they help their favorite humans. Like they're very actively involved characters in the story. Um, the the gods who have sided with the Trojans uh, protect Hector's body, and so there's you know daily desecration of the corpse, and it should be totally rotted by the time this ends but Mm. it looks as if he's just he still looks as if he's just you know fallen asleep for a nap basically they keep his body pristine uh which i think is the only reason achilles gets away with this for as long as he does Mm -hmm. (laughs) at that point it's a science experiment like man guys i keep dragging it around the city but it looks fine (laughs) what is with this yeah i don't know what's going on he's still a real hot corpse (laughs) (laughs) guys come on get me some poster board i gotta i gotta come up with a hypothesis here (laughs) oh my god so yeah so that goes on for a while um and after several days of that priam gets some help from hermes the god um and sneaks into the greek camp and ransoms hector's body from achilles 
Um, and it's an, actually an extremely touching scene um, where, you know, they weep together, they eat, and Achilles says, fine, here's the body, um, and sends him back. And so the Iliad ends with a 12-day pause um, in fighting so that the Trojans can have their big funeral for their prince, Hector. The, the, the mm-hmm. last line of the Iliad is, so they buried Hector, breaker of horses. That's how it ends. So there's a lot yeah. that happens in the war after that, right? That's um, right. Like this is the the standard um, text that we turn to for the Trojan War. But there's so much that happens after that. After the end of the Iliad, the Amazons come and fight for Troy. Mm. Achilles kills their queen. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome actually. Uh, okay. Achilles uh, Achilles fights their queen and kills her. Um, then this guy named Memnon from Ethiopia comes up with some troops and fights. For Troy, Achilles kills Memnon. Uh, and at this point, the gods decide that Achilles has done enough. Like, he is killing off the entire generation of heroes. Um, and they're like, you, mm-hmm. we need to make this stop now. Uh, so Apollo helps Paris. Paris is an archer. Um, and Apollo helps Paris um, shoot down Achilles. Um, he does, in fact, shoot him in the heel um, with a poison arrow. Okay. So, so Paris kills Achilles. Uh, and then another Greek hero kills Paris. They get Achilles's like 12 year old son who's living back in Greece. They bring him into the war because there's some prophecy that they can't win it without him. Uh, okay. So he's an obnoxious kid, uh, but they bring him in anyway. <laughs> uh, then there's the Trojan horse, right? And the sack of the city and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sack of the city is real messy like there's always rape and murder and burning and pillaging Mm. war right always yeah with the sack of troy they do these things in the temples like this is supposed Mm. to be like claiming sanctuary right you you go and like grab the statue of the god that's in the temple and you're supposed to be protected right even in wartime they're supposed to honor that women are raped in the temples people are murdered at the feet of the statues of gods in the temples this is a huge huge no no and the greeks really should have known better uh and Mm -hmm. the bad behavior during the sack of troy is the main reason why so few of the greeks actually make it home after the war um okay like this is part of why i mean there's other reasons too but this is part of why odysseus takes 20 years to get home um some guys don't make it home at all some guys like agamemnon as soon as they get home their wives murder them (laughs) so uh (laughs) it's just it's real messy (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's that's the story of the trojan war um okay there is a little bit of historical basis for some of this i mean we with a story like this it it surely didn't come out of nowhere right so there was speculation for a long time about how like there must be some grain of truth in this mm-hmm. legend, like some sort of big, massive war with a city um, across the Aegean must have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't really have any proof of that. We still don't really have any proof of it. Um, however, there are a couple of sites in Turkey that people have identified as, you know, maybe being the the city that inspired the story of the Trojan War. Maybe this was ancient okay. Troy. Um, the the most likely one is a city called Hisarlik, um, which is on the western coast of Turkey, excavated by none other than Heinrich Schliemann. Oh, uh, Heinrich Schliemann! Wait, how do I know that name? 
History class uh, from our high school history yep. class, Sam. Our high school history teacher would call him Heinrich Schliemann. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yup. I feel like this isn't Heinrich the last Schlie- time we're going to hear about Heinrich Schliemann either. I feel like he may haunt uh, this podcast. Unfortunately, he might. Um, he So he's, he's an amateur archaeologist uh, who was completely obsessed with the Trojan War and with the historicity of the events of the Iliad and the and the epic cycle of the Trojan War. Mm-hmm. Totally obsessed. He's a very complicated figure in classical studies because he turned out to be right about a lot of things, but he was also a disaster and like a really bad archaeologist. Like I said, he had no formal mm. training. Um, and it's true that like, it's hard to judge him by modern standards, right? Because archaeology was not really a science at this time. People were literally just like digging things up. But the people who who were educated in these areas took careful notes for the most part mm-hmm. when they dug stuff up. Um, Schliemann literally used dynamite <laughs> in his excavations. <laughs> Shit. Schliemann. It's, it's actually possible that he his excavation techniques destroyed the layer the archaeological layer that he was looking for, or at least part mm. of it. You <laughs> hate to hear that. <laughs> Great oh, work, it's bud. So, it's just so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he he dug at, he, he dug, he blew up, whatever. He plowed through uh, and destroyed large chunks of Hisserlik. And there are all these layers of the city, which you get when a place has been inhabited for a really long time. He thought mm-hmm. layer number two was... Priam's Troy of the Trojan War. Um, it definitely isn't. Um, if this war happened, it was probably around 1200 BC, so like 400 years before Homer. Um, that level is like a thousand years too early. But he mm. did find like a big cache of gold that he called Priam's treasure, and he found all these jewels <laughs> that he called the jewels of Helen. He had this very young, pretty Greek wife named Sophia. He dressed her up in the jewels for like publicity photos. Uh, okay. There, there is actually like layer six or seven of this place um, mm-hmm. could be the historical Troy. Um, oh, okay. it's, there's a layer of a city that was burnt and destroyed. Mm. Um, and that's also the layer where they found Mycenaean pottery. Mycenae is where Ag- where Agamemnon is supposed to have been king, mm-hmm. right? Um, and where they found all of this gold and stuff like that. So it is actually possible that there was like this very wealthy city that was sacked by Greeks and that this is the basis for the legend of Troy. Um, but yeah, Schliemann was a mess. Like I said, he just destroyed a whole bunch of the site. He smuggled all this gold and jewelry out of Turkey. A bunch Mm -hmm. of it ended up in a museum in Berlin until World War II. Um, And then some of it also went to uh, Greek museums. Um, He went on later to excavate at Mycenae, where he found allegedly, you know, the mask of Agamemnon. It's this golden death mask. And it probably was for a king. Uh, But Agamemnon wasn't real. (laughs) So (laughs) That was actually going to be my question. (laughs) Is, are any of the characters in this based on like real people or I mean maybe but mm-hmm. a lot of this you know a lot of the, the main characters in this are are legends they, mm-hmm. that's okay. all they are um, and you know like Achilles was not actually the son of a sea nymph right yeah. um, and there are no sea nymphs you know 
Maybe when the sea you know, levels rise, we'll we'll find out that we've been yeah, wrong I, all along. I'm just saying, look, I don't, I don't want to sound like this, but you're a doctor of classics, so I feel like we really need like a marine biologist here to to say once and for all, are sea nymphs real? Uh, and I feel like the ancient aliens guy from uh, the History Channel might might be the guy to call. Ooh, there we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so in my head, tell me tell me if this is correct. It's almost like this is like the MCU. Like these were the superheroes of the day, like Ajax and Hector and Achilles and stuff. Is, is that about right? Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are. So a lot of them are supposed to be like the sons of gods, not all of them, but even the ones who aren't like in the um, the sort of narratives that Greeks tell about themselves. These this generation is literally a different species, like a different race of men than, oh. you know, us contemporary Greeks living in the seventh century or whatever. Um they there's you know these age these different ages of men first Zeus makes men out of gold and then silver and then bronze and then there's the age of heroes and that's this one that the Trojan War is about um, and the Trojan War is the end of the age of heroes they all oh, okay. they all die shortly after this um, mm-hmm. or in, either in the war or right after um, and then we're in the Iron Age you know the age that these guys are writing and they're like oh we're just the sad little mortals. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they are. It's superheroes is a good way to to think of them. Okay. okay. All right. Which think- which brings us which brings us to Troy. Oh yeah. Troy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the collective joy on all our faces as we hit this part. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just t- kind of taking the temperature of the room here, we all loved it. Mm. I mean, um, it is two hours and fours. <laughs> it's two hours uh, and forty-five uh, minutes long. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how sad it makes me that for some people, this is their only exposure to like mm. Greek myth. Yeah, yeah, a bad Brad Pitt movie. Yeah. Now, yeah. here's here's where I bear my soul a little bit. When I was younger and dumber than I already am now, I did really like this movie. I'm not proud <laughs> of it. Uh, I uh, like. I found myself watching this movie and actively wishing that that was not my past. I am ashamed, but I did really enjoy it when I was when I was younger. Well, I gotta ask. So. With that with that lead in, Sam, did did you enjoy it this time around? No. Okay. No. Okay. Just God, checking. No. Oh, good. We can still be friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, it sucks. It's it's so long. It is mm-hmm. so long. Like I realize it was a ten year war, but they condense mm-hmm. it to make it all happen within about a week. There's no reason for this movie to be almost three hours long. No. Yeah, for sure. No. And I assume and it's, it's completely accurate. It's completely accurate, right? Like every single piece of it. It sounds like it's it's a hundred percent. Oh my yeah, god! From, from what you just told us. <sighs> mm-hmm. Oh, you guys. 
15 seconds in, I was already yelling at my TV with the whole, like, Agamemnon has unified grief. Like, fuck no. (laughs) 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 Absolutely fucking not. There is no Greek nation until, like, more than a thousand years after this. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And then I, I do have a question. Okay. Which is... What the fuck was with all the like go lay with your wife or like this the weird like heteronormativity that like from the little bit I know about the ancient Greeks was not necessarily a given. Yeah. And the stuff about like and like Hector's little like I live by a code and one of the mm-hmm. things in the code is like love your woman. Like yeah. Do we really like we know they were dicks. Do we have to like rub it in our faces? That they were mm-hmm. such like ridiculous assholes. Yeah, it's it, creepy. It got real old, and it did have that early two thousand stink on it of like, boy, we're just gonna be very, very much a misogynistic kind of kind of scene here. This mm-hmm. movie is like the yeah. This movie is like the definition of no homo, like that era. Thinking <laughs> 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 now. I would like to push back on that because okay. I I know what you're going to take issue with in this movie is primarily that Patroclus is Achilles' cousin and not his yeah. best friend and lover. I would like to put forth the theory that they are Giuliani-style cousins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in that sex is A-OK. A Giuliani cousin is a cousin you have sex with. And I think yeah. that Patroclus and, and Achilles were very much Giuliani cousins. Oh, boy. But, oh. like, not not like Giuliani himself in that, you know, they don't melt. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, definitely not that part. I don't know. I mean, I just... May, we... We can have that be their story if we want. But I just want to tell you in my notes, I wrote in all caps, they are fucking. <laughs> this is this is not this is not the no homo they make it look like. <laughs> so now is is Achilles at all like is he fairly like monogamous with Patroclus? Is oh, that yeah. even like a thing? So it's it's typically not a thing this is part of why their relationship is so iconic um Mm -hmm. because like you like you mentioned earlier sam um the like modern concept of heterosexuality was not really the greeks thing um it was Mm -hmm. pretty standard to have relationships between younger boys and older boys slash young men so like between 18 and 22 year olds with like 13 14 15 year olds um, mm-hmm. This was pretty standard. Um, and it often had a sexual element to it. Not always, but often. Um, and it was it was partly, um, you know, a partly romantic, really sort of institutionalized romantic relationships, but also, like, the older partner is supposed to sort of help the younger one learn what it means to be a man in Greek society. Mm-hmm. Um, however... Once that young man gets to the point where, like, he's through puberty, he's growing facial hair of his own, the relationship mm-hmm. is supposed to end. 
uh, and they gotcha. remain friends, but like everything else, the sort of like really close bond is supposed to like dissipate. Um, and Achilles and Patroclus don't do that. Um, so mm, they are unusual okay. in that they carry their relationship into adulthood. And that's usually a no-no for the, mm, okay. for the Greeks. Um, so, so they are unusual in that way. And um, there's other, um, other versions of, uh, you know, other re- um, reimaginings of Troy. Like there was a miniseries that came out a few years ago called Troy Follow a City. It was actually really good. If you want a, a good... Really? Uh, yeah, if you want a good film version of the Trojan War, go watch Troy Fall of a City. Um, and but they make you know, occasionally people make comments to Achilles about Patroclus, um, or to Patroclus mm. about the fact that he, you know, to the rest of them, he's sort of like Achilles' little pet, um, even though he's like a, a warrior in his own right. Um, so it was definitely unusual. Uh, but because Achilles is such an overwhelmingly great warrior, he can pretty much get away with whatever he wants. So, um, gotcha. even though it's not like really a socially acceptable relationship, even for the Greeks. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, Luke, how, how do you feel about this one? About this film? About Troy? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really appreciate all of this backstory and all this information. I've learned a shitload about uh, this because I feel like one... Mm-hmm. It's insane how much exposition they try to shoehorn into the very beginning of this movie. Like, they have, like, a scroll, like a Star Wars-style scroll. But Star Mm -hmm. Wars, it's just, like, Darth Vader, bad. Empire, bad. Jedi, good. In this one, it's, like, here's, like, a mini treatise on the current sociopolitical state of Greece and Troy. And you're, like, I can't process any of this. Just get me to Brad Pitt (laughs) killing people. Um so anyway, so I really appreciate actually having like the gaps filled in because it was incredibly confusing. Um, but this movie tries to, it, you know, props to it. It tries to do something that ain't been done since like the '60s, which is like this huge like spectacle classics movie. Like I'm thinking of like mm. Ben Hur or Cleopatra or yeah. whatever. Oh, down yeah. to like yeah. like the classic some, like epic. Yeah, really epic. Um, and down to some really, really horse shit shots. Like, I think it's seen Bean at some point. Good old Sean Bean. We get a, a shot. It's like the director's like, and zoom! And then they zoom in on his face really close so he can deliver a line <laughs> apropos of nothing. And you're like, man, we moved past this in, like, the 70s. Mm-hmm. That is some Hawaii so Five O bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, there are things about this movie like that. I know exactly what shot you're talking about, and it's so bad, it's good. Um, mm-hmm. but, then, but yeah, but then there are other things. Like, if you want to have some exposition at the beginning of this movie, maybe read a fucking book and don't just make it all up and make it more confusing than it needs to be. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. like down to, so you, I've noticed, you're pronouncing the names differently, Sarah. Now, is that acceptable, the way they pronounce the names in this movie, or is it utterly batshit? I think, I think it's acceptable. Um, okay. Menelaus, you know, the way they always say Menelaus instead of Menelaus, and, like, that's, that's fine. Um, I think some of these pronunciations must be British pronunciations. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. As opposed okay. to American ones. Um, but, uh, I mean, the other thing, the other caveat you have to have is that we don't actually know what ancient Greek sounded like <laughs> True. because modern right. Greek vowels have changed so much. Uh, mm-hmm. We can sort of guess, and and the um, 
like Homer, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey are written in um, dactylic hexameter. And so the way vowels change to fit in the meter of the poem, we can sort of guess at like which vowels got smushed together and which ones like kept their separate sounds and things like that. And sometimes it the same word would be pronounced differently if it was in a different spot in the line. Um, so we can sort of guess with things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But there's... There's very few wrong ways to say these names, I guess. Okay, um, cool. You know, they're, they're not the way I choose okay. to say them, but they're also not necessarily totally wrong. So it's like a rhesus. Okay. There's no wrong way to eat this rhesus. Unless yeah. you go, wait, unless you really do something illegal with it. Yeah. Because I, was gonna I do say, feel like there's limits on that. I can think of a couple. think of a couple ways to, to put a rhesus in your body that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So, oh, so Sarah, was this was this a bad experience for you? Did you enjoy any part of it? I, you know, I I do enjoy some of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's an incredible cast, and so like the Boy, acting, yeah. I feel like it's 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 good acting with bad writing for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. For me, uh, you know, I have to wonder if Peter O'Toole just hated himself through this whole thing because that man hey. was a jewel um fun do you want a fun fact about peter o'toole in this movie really quick i always want yes. fun facts about peter o'toole yeah so peter o'toole famed actor uh watched apparently at the premiere watched five minutes of this and then left meaning he decided literally anything was better than watching this movie <laughs> which he starred in <laughs> I respect him so much more knowing that. Fuck, that is good. That's amazing. Uh, well, I mean, it is true that, like, yeah. for the most part, the the stuff that he's in has like at least some bearing to realistic bearing to the story. Um, you know, like there's actually one of my favorite parts of this movie is uh, when he comes to ransom Hector's body back from Achilles. Um, mm-hmm. they, they directly pull a line from the Iliad, which he, he says, I, I do what no man before me has done. I kiss the hands of the man who killed my son. And he kisses Achilles hands and Achilles sends everybody out that he's like having a feast. He sends everybody out and they like have this really beautiful moment together. Um, and so like things like that, that they do in this movie, I really appreciate. And, uh, like they have all of these little domestics moments with Hector and his wife and son, um, and one of the most one of the most poignant passages in the Iliad is in um, book six. There's 24 books in the Iliad, by the way, like chapters. Holy um, shit! Yeah, <laughs> it's That's... so one one book equals one scroll, right? Uh, gotcha. So um, so in book six, there's this lovely scene where Hector has come out from he's come back from the fighting. He's back in the city, and Andromache is you know crying and like doesn't want him to go back out she's like let other people fight you've got a son you need to like be here to watch him grow up um and hector like gives a not very comforting speech <laughs> to andromache but then he like reaches down to play with his son and the like he's still wearing his helmet with the big horsehair crest on it and this kid just sees the, the like shining helmet and the big horsehair gets scared shitless starts screaming and crying and so like the his parents laugh he takes off his helmet he's like dandling his son and talking about how he's gonna grow up to be like and like at the end offers this little prayer about may he grow up to be greater than his father and all of this stuff and uh if you 
you know, the ending, um, Andromache, you know, when Troy is sacked, Andromache is enslaved and her son is killed um, in rather dramatic fashion. So it's, if you, if you know how it turns out for them, it makes it even harder to read. Um, and they had, in the movie, they had all these little moments with um, Hector and his family having these really sweet times together and sort of trying to squeeze in um, extra, extra love wherever they can. Um, and so things like that, that they, that they did, I really appreciated that in this movie, you know, they sort of, they took some bits and pieces of episodes that happened in the Iliad and sort of fit them in, in a way that worked with the very weird story they had done. Uh, Mm -hmm. but then there are other things like the whole way that they do the Briseis and Achilles storyline just makes me want to vomit. Uh, like the whole, <laughs> like they're not in love. She's a prisoner of war. She's, you know, yeah. she has been enslaved. They're not going to develop an actual like loving relationship. Um, Agamemnon doesn't take her away secretly. He takes her away in front of everybody. Like the whole reason Achilles withdraws from the fighting is not because he's petulant because his like he's lost his girlfriend. He's mad because he's like been publicly humiliated in front of mm-hmm. in front of all his friends so like there's things like that and like the whole going back into the city looking for her at the end first of all achilles was already dead when they sacked the city of troy <laughs> so there's that little tidbit but <laughs> also like problem. there's no way he would be just like running through the city looking for his trojan slave girl like if he had yeah. lived he would have a million of those and it wouldn't matter which one it like he was after like this I don't know why they felt the need to shoehorn a love story into this, but it really pisses me off. Well, and particularly one that is the dictionary definition of the rape myth. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, she's terrified of him and then like comes to love him. And it's just like, this stinks. Mm -hmm. This is not a good look. Now, can I tell you my favorite part Mm -hmm. of the movie? Please do. And it is a part that I will remember until I die uh, to, to the point where I knew it was coming and my wife was in the room. Uh, she did leave to go take a bath because God bless her. She couldn't do it. And I was jealous. Um, but it's after Menelaus dies. Uh, he, he gets killed by Hector. And then it cuts to uh, Agamemnon, Brian Cox, in his chariot. And I said, Kenny, you're going you're gonna to want to see this. And he lets out that weird fucking cry of just like, yeah! (laughs) And for some reason, that is indelible in my memory. And I put it, it is, for me, on par with Howard Dean's, it's just so pure and so good (laughs) and so weird. I cannot imagine why anyone looked at that footage and went, that's the noise we want. Yeah. Man, there were a lot of shots in this movie that, like, should have been a retake, but I guess (laughs) the director was like, fuck it, it's in the film. Like, my favorite is um, Hector is talking to his wife, and he, like, just sort of slaps a hand across her face, like, not violently, just, like, drags it across her face by mistake. (laughs) Because she's in slightly, her blocking isn't quite right. And then she just, like, kisses the shit out of it. So <laughs> just imagine, listeners, a hand sliding across someone's face and then her making out with it. And this is in the movie for some yeah. reason. 
Yeah. It makes you wonder if they were like on a really compressed timeline. Like for for bigger scenes, I can imagine that they were like, I don't want to get these extras corralled again. Yeah. We're just going to we're going to live with the weird noise Brian Cox made and we're going to move forward. <laughs> uh, but for a small scene like that. Yeah. You got to wonder easy... what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, Sarah, this is a movie where clearly no one cracked a book uh, to sort of oh God, figure no. out the source material at all. So, I mean, yeah, like I mean, like I said, from the very beginning, all this stuff about like uniting Greece is a bunch of bullshit. Uh, and like uh, just so so much of this movie and like Menelaus being killed right at the beginning like he's one of the only Greeks who actually makes it home and lives sort of happily ever after and he's Um. like the one big Greek here he like dies first like what the fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he actually does get Helen back like Helen gets sick of Paris she decides he's a coward and an idiot and she is ready to go home to Menelaus by the end of the war so like there's yeah so like that whole deal is just so messed up I am glad though that they had the single combat in there because one of the funniest things to me is that in they, they do have a single combat of Paris versus Menelaus, let's decide this thing in the Iliad, and it always cracks mm-hmm. me up that it took them ten years to decide, maybe we should just <laughs> maybe we should just let the two husbands figure it out maybe we all don't have to die um, so they do that, and, like, and he Menelaus does wound Paris, and Paris is about to be killed, he doesn't actually run away Aphrodite is, right sort of Paris is patron she's he's her favorite Mm -hmm. she whisks him away in a cloud of smoke um and deposits him back in the city and is like why don't you go fuck your wife now um and uh and well she and she goes and gets helen and she's like i i you are needed in paris's bed and helen is like why don't you go to him i'm sick of him and aphrodite gives her a dressing (laughs) down and makes her go uh makes her go to paris's room So the single okay. combat doesn't work out, but it is there. And Menelaus does not die. He is the winner of this story. <laughs> so so that leads me to a couple questions that I had coming up uh, watching this. And one is, like, nobody seems to like Paris. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, even uh, Pri- Priam or Priam? Whichever. Priam. Uh, it like comes up to Hector in front of Paris and is like, yes. you're my favorite son. Yes. Don't die is, out there. This is my favorite part of the movie when he just to his face <laughs> is like, yeah, your brother's awesome. You're a piece of shit. It's exactly. so good. And then like they're on the ship and Paris is like, yeah, I, I cucked a king. And Hector's like, God <laughs> damn it. God damn it. <laughs> man that's yeah and that's like exactly how it is in the iliad too like hector is fed (laughs) up hector's always really nice to helen Mm -hmm. he can't stand paris he's furious (laughs) with paris (laughs) he seems like a real dirtbag brother he is he's a horrible person and it's even better when you realize that like they did not grow up together. They do not have a lifelong bond. Like Paris literally showed up as a 20 year old and was like, hey, I'm the long lost prince. I'm going to go steal a princess now and make all your lives hell. God. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're one of 50, yeah. 50 fucking siblings. Then, In- yeah, you're just like the dirtbag one. 
that no one and likes. He's easily ranked 60th. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> there are several they're daughters like, above him. Yeah, well, they're like, okay, so we've ranked all our kids, and then it's like getting hit by a chariot, <laughs> then Paris. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so my other question is something that I just noticed in like the visual design of, of the movie. So the, the Trojans worship the same gods, right? Mm-hmm, they do. Okay, why is everything in this movie seemingly like either Persian art or ancient Egyptian art. Mm, So that's one thing that they actually um, may have had a consultant for um, because that's one like very small touch that I think actually is done correctly, which is kind of shocking for this movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. So archaic Greek art, um, Mm -hmm. which is stuff from basically not not from when we think, you know, whatever historical Trojan War might have happened, but like from the time Mm -hmm. that the oral poets were writing were composing the Iliad um mm-hmm. that art does is like very heavily influenced by Egyptian art and it's sort of like okay. rigid oh. posture and like weirdly carefully coiled hair and things mm-hmm. like that like that is actually um a good historical detail and oh, Troy okay. is on the west coast of Turkey so it's on the um the eastern side of the Aegean Sea um mm-hmm. That eventually becomes Persian territory. Um, gotcha. So that is um, a little, you know, they may be sort of mushing up their time periods, but um, classical, those sort of like, so what we think of as like standard Greek art from the classical age is not a thing mm-hmm. yet. Um, we're still okay. very much in the like rigid postures um, and yeah. very heavily into Egyptian stuff. Because <laughs> like the, the Temple of Apollo that um, Achilles sacks, like, has this very, like, ancient Egyptian, like, architecture and also these, like, very Egyptian statues that are standing yeah. at the front. And I was like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. But that, see, that's interesting. Yeah, I they actually did well on that one. Of course, then they put the Trojans in togas, which is Roman dress from, you know, a thousand mm. years later. So I don't yeah. know what's going on there, but yeah. <laughs> they tried at least. Yeah. Oh, I've I have one more question. I'm, I'm sorry to fill this with questions, but uh, at the end, when um, I think it's Paris is sending everyone into the secret tunnels, and he hands the sword to Aeneas. I I know that name is significant. I don't know how. I'm so glad you brought this up because this is one of my other like oh they did something right moments uh, where it gets it it gets me so excited. Um, so there is like this lovely fantasy right that like all of these Trojan royals escape through the tunnel. Um, they didn't mm-hmm. like they were killed okay. or enslaved. Um, but Aeneas is one who actually does make it out. So he's um, a, a distant cousin of the Trojan princes. So he's got Trojan royal blood, and he lives in the city. And you'll notice in the movie, he's got, like, an old man with an arm around his shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, So Aeneas, when when the city is being burned, Aeneas wakes up his family. His father, Anchises, um, is like, I'm old. I don't walk good anymore. I'll just die in my city. Like, it's fine. I've had a good life. Um, And Aeneas is like, fuck that. I'm going to carry you. So he gets his dad. He gives his dad a piggyback ride. His dad, by the way, the reason uh, Anchises can't walk is because he had sex with Aphrodite. And there is always a cost when you sleep with the gods. 
Um, so he got Aeneas out of it. Aeneas is the son of Aphrodite, but uh, he can't walk anymore. So Aeneas has his father on his back. He's got his little son by the hand. He forgets about his wife. She dies in the fire. Uh, but he, he, he gets his, I know, it's so bad. But he does actually, Aeneas does escape with his father and his son, and he meets with a few a few other Trojans who have managed to escape the city. They all meet outside, mm-hmm. um, and they sort of lay low until the Greeks leave. And then the Aeneid is um, another epic poem. This is a Latin poem that's um, significantly... Um, it's only 12 books um, instead of the 24 that the Iliad and the Odyssey mm-hmm. are. Um, but it's the story of Aeneas and the Trojan survivors traveling around the Mediterranean and eventually settling in Rome. Um, and and oh. founding, they found a, a city that is not Rome, but Aeneas's descendants in Italy are the people who found Rome. So part of the Roman, even the Romans have co-opted this identity, right? Of like they... They end up taking a lot from Greek culture and um, mm-hmm. and all of that, but they have this identity of themselves as being descended from Trojans. Um, so, yeah. So I was actually really glad they had Aeneas in there as that little tidbit okay. of like, here's here's how the story continues. Uh, yeah. Aeneas keeps the Trojan identity alive. Well, that's fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, Luke, you got anything? No, I just keep thinking about how. Uh, they bore mirrored Achilles at the end of this. Just plugged him full of arrows. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, like I said, really, really, really glad we filled in some gaps here because I spent mm-hmm. a lot of this movie being like, "Who's that? Why do they care? Who are these people?" So I feel a lot more informed now, for sure. So thank you, Sarah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, thanks for enduring this uh, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous movie. Uh, I mean, it does have Mad-Eye Moody and Legolas at a party, which I know yeah. is the start of a joke. <laughs> yeah. There's some pros and cons, mostly the casting uh, and the pro yeah. column, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I will say, well, uh, I think they, they missed the boat on this movie. The, um, they could have made it even better and even more confusing if they hadn't taken out the whole divine element of, like, mm-hmm. gods fighting in the battle and stuff and, like, talking yeah. to people. Um, like, I understand why they didn't do that, but um, I kind of wish they had, like, just to add to the chaos. It definitely would have added something uh, to this mm-hmm. movie that I, I think it was missing. Um, I also thought that the amount of hair sniffing in this movie was egregious. Yeah. yeah. Yes, there is like, a, a weird amount of hair sniffage for any it given feels film. Like, it feels like one of the few things they cut was in Herbal Essence's commercial. <laughs> uh, somewhere buried within this was like, oh, your hair, it, oh, it smells so nice, it are you using herbal essences? <laughs> yeah, it's like they ponied up the cash, but then pulled out of the deal at the last minute, and they <laughs> exactly. had all this B-roll of people mm-hmm. going like, oh, man, this is herbal essence conditioner, isn't it? And they had to just oh, chop it. <laughs> it smells so fresh and natural. Yeah, we are aggressively hetero, and we like to smell hair. <laughs> <laughs> so bef- before we head out of here... um. At one point, Achilles calls 
uh, Agamemnon a sack of wine? <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. That's my new favorite insult. <laughs> it's, it doesn't even sound like an insult. It's, it's, no, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, a sack it's, of yeah. wine is a nice thing to have. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, you chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, thanks. Yeah, I guess the modern equivalent would be like you box of Franzia, and you'd be like, yeah, that's like half a party right there. You get uh-huh. five or six good buds, some Dixie yeah, cups. Dude. You got you got a fucking party going, man. Oh my word! Put me in a room with some solo cups and some bros. We're having a good fucking time. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, Sarah, do you, do you have anything that you want to wrap up with? Uh, I don't think so. I guess just one last little tidbit um, that always cracks me up in this is that um, Achilles compares himself to a lion a few times. And, like, he tells his men, we are lions or whatever when they're storming oh, yeah. the beach. Um, which is really hilarious to me because... Uh, Myrmidons, which is the the name for the men that Achilles mm-hmm. commands. Myrmidons means ant men. Excellent. So his and like they're very <laughs> proud of being ant men. So he's yeah. pumping up his ant men by telling them they are not actually ants. Um, and that it's like a very little thing, but it just cracks me up every time. I think it's so funny. Oh, it's good. <laughs> It is absolutely good. So, just remember, we are not lions. <laughs> no. Uh, do we want to say what next week's episode is? Yeah, so next week, we will be watching Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And talking about oh, yes. the other Homeric poem, The Odyssey. Oh, Hell cannot yes. wait. Cannot mm-hmm. wait. Uh, Sarah, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, cause do, do you do you want to plug your your blog? Ooh, my blog. Uh, I don't know if you That's if you want to put right. that in the episode. I we should have talked about this well, before. I've goofed this. <laughs> we'll plug the blog. We'll plug the the very occasional blog, uh, mediapalatina.com, um, which uh, I have not been good at keeping up with since I graduated. Uh, but I'm gonna hopefully get back on that. Um, and maybe maybe share some extra tidbits you know stuff that we talk about on here on there so yeah. we we shall see um if i can revive that <laughs> and uh you can also send us an email at greased lightning pod and that's g-r-e-e-c-e-d uh lightning pod at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook at greased lightning podcast you can find us on instagram at greased lightning pod and you can find us on twitter at greased light pod because it was too long um <laughs> and so i had to do greased light pod so that's that's what we are there Love uh, it. are we doing final quotes for this i should ask some more questions oh, <laughs> before we damn. started i think i i well we'll do it this time sam what was the noise again can you just give me that noise one more time oh yeah ah <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's our final quotes. Excellent. Well, (laughs) folks, thanks for listening to the first episode of Grease Lightning. Uh, And Sarah, thank you so much for for educating us. 
And uh, we'll be back next week with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?